welcome. Kia ora, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou koutou. That's a Māori greeting, uh, recognising the people and welcoming everybody here. Uh-huh. Uh, I'd like to welcome you to the University of North Carolina Greensboro from Brazil um, and to our Creative Pedagogies class. We are exploring uh, professional learning communities in Ireland and Brazil and from a number of other countries here. I'm sure people will ch chip in. Um, and we're very fortunate to have uh, Luisa Lana Gonzalez and, uh, from Brazil. And I always ask this question. I know it's a little bizarre, but I'm from a farm. Um, I grew up, I was the second youngest of nine. So therefore, I always want to know what the weather's like. So the weather here in North Carolina right now in Greensboro is about 51 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, uh -huh. um, what's the weather like it where you are? Yeah, we are here now. It's almost 40 degrees. Celsius degrees, yeah. Celsius. Oh, that's hot. That's pretty, pretty hot. <laughs> so the, the sun is just like behind me here. <laughs> right. Well, that's fantastic, Louisa. I've got to say, I met you uh, very fortunately at the ICEF conference in uh, New York uh, in July. Uh, and just so you all know, Louisa was the first recipient of the Developing Country Scholar Award. And I was very uh, pleased to be able to award her that uh, to help support her to go to that conference. And yeah. so that's where we met. And now it's up to you to introduce yourself and uh, go for it, Louisa. Okay, thank you, Ben. Obrigado. it's the answer. So yeah, first, it's a pleasure for me to be here and uh, I have to say thank you, Ben, for having invited me. And it's really, really uh, important moment because I think I can share my experiences with you and I can learn from your experiences as well. So I think the technology uh, have uh, permitted us to do this. So, but I hope I have opportunity to go to United States and visit you physically, okay? <laughs> you are welcome here anytime. And uh, fortunately, my daughter's going to university, so I'll have a spare, another spare room soon. <laughs> <laughs> great, great. So um, I, I want to say that, as you know, English is my second language. And in advance, I want to say sorry if I make some mistakes. Probably I will. But uh, if you don't understand something, you can ask, and I'm more than happy to repeat, okay? okay. Yeah. We apologize that we cannot speak uh, Portuguese. Yes. So it goes both right. ways. Yes. Right. Yeah. So I will share my screen, and then you can see my presentation. Yeah, I already practiced this with Ben. Let's see. Yes, we practiced yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's so see. That should be fine, yeah. Looks good so far. Yeah, good. See you. you can see us okay. and we can see the slide. Very good. Good. good okay, great. So um, today I will share with you a little bit of my experience working with uh, professional learning communities and our communities of practice in Brazil in a socially vulnerable area. And it was uh, where I did my PhD research. 
it's a little bit of my experience. We don't have experience with the community of trust in Brazil yet. So this is this was the first one. And uh, we have in another areas, especially in mathematics areas, it's really, really strong, the idea of community of practice, but in physical education, we don't have yet. So it was kind of a, I was discovering everything, okay? So many times I will share with you some doubt I have because I was in the middle of this, oh my God, I don't know what, what I'm doing here, you know? <laughs> yeah. So be, before I begin, I would like to introduce the content of this presentation. Uh, first, I will give a summarized view about myself as a researcher. Second, we will share, we will do some activities and we will share our experience about learning. And then I present my experience in working with community of practice. I will share a little bit of my PhD results. And then I will detail some main concepts that I use in this presentation. So, uh, just to be closer of you, I will try to present myself focusing four points. I think that it's completely, Misty said, it's so you, Louisa. So it's so me. Uh, <laughs> about teaching and researching, about physical education, about partnership and support. So, just to understand, let me just uh, cleaning this map and then you can understand where I am. Uh, I, I will put myself here. <laughs> mm -hmm. so this is Brazil and I was born in the yellow state, is Minas Gerais state, but Brazil is really, really big, you know. And then today, currently, I'm working the purple state, is kind of a 2,000 kilometers by car. It's really, really far. It's kind of two days driving. Yeah. So um, it's, it's a long distance. So I'm a person passionate about physical education. I used to play handball. And as a good Brazilian, I love playing soccer as well. Uh, after my graduation, I discovered that I liked teaching PE more than anything else, more than being an athlete, I think. And since... Since then, I engaged in my professional trajectory. So I was a teacher in a private and public schools in my own city. But I don't know if you know about Brazilian reality, so I will explain a little bit. Teachers in Brazil, they receive, they are in a group of people who has uh, the, who has the, the lowest salary in the country. So teachers in Brazil receive like a earn a really, really small salary, and their reality is really precarious. So many teachers leave their school looking for better job opportunities. I was not different. I have to, to say I, I left the school looking for better job opportunities, but I also would like to research, to search about my own practice. So I put a master's degree as an option for me I would like to improve, to learn, and I would like to improve my career as well. So uh, I became a lecturer in, in to, I, I did a master, and then I became a lecturer in a Federal University of Matrugu, where I'm working currently. So this is my university. I will change it. So 
It's the biggest university in the state. This state is more a farmer state. We don't have a lot of industries here. It's just sugar farms. <laughs> so the universities, you can see we have a lot of green parts. But we developed a lot of activities here with students. We have a master in education, a master in health and PE. Uh, we have bachelor in physical education, uh, physical education teacher education as well. And we believe that uh, we could, we can develop a lot of activities that integrate kids from communities that surround the school, our students, the undergraduate students. We also invest in research, um, students' initial research, and we believe that the integration between lectures and students is also important. So every year uh, we do a kind of a, a game, like a lecture again against the students. And I have to say that every year the lectures win the game, okay? So, looking to improve my career and keep researching about professional development of PE teachers, I engaged in a PhD in the University of Sao Paulo, and this brought to me the amazing opportunity of knowing better about the area. But mainly, it gave to me the opportunity to build strong partnerships. So, during my PhD, I had the opportunity of studying five months in the University of Limerick, and where I met Deborah Sunhill, uh, Mary Sullivan, and McPhil, and Miss Parker. Then Missy told to me that she studied there. She studied in this university. Yeah, she studied in. She, I think she did her master's in Greensboro. Missy. Oh, Missy. Yes, yeah. Missy did. Yeah. So Missy yeah. Uh, went to uh, UNCG. So we we were going to invite her to come visit sometime. Yeah. Yeah, she told me, okay, uh, ask them to look in some wall that are my, my name, my name is there or my picture, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, Missy's so, picture's here. Yeah. yeah, so Missy became my supervisor in my PhD and she, she supported me, so we worked together until now, yeah. Uh, during my PhD, I also lived in Australia to improve my English and to keep researching the international context. These international partnerships were expanded and today I'm engaged in a project with other colleagues as Kevin Pato from California State University. I don't know if it's near, it's close your state. Uh, if California is, I, I don't know much close about. Us. Yeah. Close to us? Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. On the West Coast, yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. 2,000 miles. Yeah, 2,000 miles. <laughs> Far. So, <laughs> and lastly, uh, so, and now I'm having this amazing opportunity of working uh, with Ben. We are initiating a partnership, I, I believe, yeah? <laughs> so, lastly, one of the most important things that my career also gave to me until now was the opportunity to show teachers Brazilian reality to the world. I think it's my job. So in 2019, I was the winner of the ICEP Developing Country Scholar Award, as Ben said. And <laughs> thank you, Ben, for no. this opportunity as well. Uh, and there I presented part of my, the research that I will share with you today. So I talked a little bit about myself, but now I will 
uh, ask you to share some experiences. Uh, so I will put here two questions and I would like uh, you, you could take a paper and alone, like a, not as a group, but alone. Could you think in a challenging learning experience like something you, you okay, I, I faced this situation, for example, my coach or my PE teacher were, uh, was teaching how to kick, I don't know, a forearm pass, something like that. And then I was really, really difficult. I didn't learn the way, the teaching strategy, I don't know. What happened, I would like you to write. And how did you feel? Uh, in this challenging learning experience. Okay, now just leave this there. Now thinking alternatively, a positive learning experience. So, oh my God, I had this ex experience with my PE teacher or the girl who is the student who is from mathematics. I had this experience with my teacher and in this way I learned better. So it was really good for me. I understood. I prefer learning this way. Great. Now I would like you to share as a group. And I think uh, each one could share your own positive and, and challenging experience. And then you, we have to choose as a group. We have to select the top three positive experience and the top three challenge experience. And then we have to think one message for that one message that these experiences provide so i don't know who wants to start words i wrote down here were uh, embarrassed uh uh inadequate uh mm -hmm. and uh and again this is a bit colloquial and from an irish sense but worthless um was the word that came into my head when i when i couldn't perform this particular task mm -hmm. uh, and then the positive experience actually was my first semester in, in physical education in, in University of Limerick, where we actually went on an outdoor adventure uh, expedition out to Killaloo. You might have been there. Uh, and we uh, worked in groups uh, just to climb the high poles or whatever. Uh, mm -hmm. And that was a really good one because it felt part, I felt uh, a sense of belonging, a sense of accomplishment, and I was able to accomplish a task. Um, <clears throat> when I was thinking about the challenging learning experience, I went back to a professional development when I was teaching elementary physical education, when we had to learn about how to conduct a Padea seminar. Good girl, you're taking me back. I know. Okay. This is like early, this is like uh, in the early 90s, late 90s, late 90s. Late 90s. So Padea is a way to teach reading. And of course, I was expected to do that in physical education. So sitting there with all the classroom teachers, not feeling this connected to anything that I needed to do in my content area, I definitely felt very inadequate in that experience. Mm -hmm. uh, they definitely made me feel as if my content wasn't important and didn't matter. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I know. <laughs> so for my positive learning experience, um, I kind of went back to, and I guess going way back, uh, to when I was in middle school, physical education, my elementary experience wasn't the greatest, but in, um, in middle school, I remember we had a lot of student choice and I chose lacrosse one day because it was different. Mm 
mm-hmm. and had a chance to play that and was very excited about learning something that was brand new. Mm-hmm. Great. Cool. Okay, I can talk about my challenging learning experiences. That is not related to PE, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. That, is, uh, that was my, uh, one of my class in my first semester. And we, me and Donna, we took that class, Community Development. And there are, there's one class, the topic is uh, LGBTQ, something mm-hmm. like that, you know, mm-hmm. how community be responsible to provide resources or cares for the special population, LGBTQ. But for me, uh, my culture context, we in China, we don't have, we, we didn't learn so much knowledge about that special population, which makes me very difficult to understand Mm-hmm. the population at first <laughs> and, and that's very challenging i think it's it's uh, uh because of my cultural background and the mm-hmm. lack of that knowledge mm-hmm. makes the learning understanding of why these population uh should need spe- special care mm-hmm. so and also i don't know uh, what, what is the lgbtq at first mm-hmm. i don't understand what that means mm-hmm. and uh, also uh, the positive learning uh, experiences might be, uh, it's make me think of when I was, uh, so I was also a soccer coach when I was in China and we had a soccer, uh, soccer education program mm-hmm. organized by the education department. And the reason why I feel that workshop is positive is because what they teach, the, we, we have instructor from England so they are all foreigner instructors. So uh, the reason why I feel that learning experience is positive because they are not only teaching us some very advanced training drills, but also told us how to teach these drills with large size class. Mm-hmm. You know, because in China we have, uh, in our phys- physical education class, we have very large size class. So sometimes uh, the, the size of the class might be like 80 or 70 students. So uh-huh. even the drill is very good. But when you mm-hmm. implement right. that drills within 70 or 80 students, now the, the teachers find challenges to do, to do that. Right. So that's why they designed specifically one or two lessons uh, on the topic of how to deliver these drills with large size uh, classroom, so which makes meaningful for me and also as well for other Chinese <laughs> soccer teachers. No, I mean physical education teachers. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit weird because in China, uh, the soccer is like a, a part of PE. Mm-hmm. Because in China, we have campus soccer program. So the soccer is very, it's a, it's a heavy part of physical, physical education. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So meaningful, yeah. so that's meaningful. Great. Great. So um, I struggled with the challenging one and came up with, um, this will probably be a shot. I don't know that I've ever told you this. Judy and I are good friends, and so it's, it's been fun to learn things I didn't know. So when I was an undergrad here at UNCG, I was Air Force ROTC. I did not know that. At a neighboring <laughs> university at um, A&T. And so the challenge was that we, I clearly to this day remember being out on the grass and 
trying to learn how to turn left and turn right, right? By the way you move your feet and where your arms have to be and you have to, we were dressed in uniform. And I struggle with my left and my right even today. And this was 25 years ago, so more. Um, So that, that the, the feeling that came over me in thinking about that really frustrating learning moment was that I was just frustrated that I could not do it and could not do it as well as anyone else um, in the whatever we were. Clearly that didn't stick and I did not stay Air Force ROTC, um, but I did, I did do it for a semester. So that was my challenging piece. Mm-hmm. And then um, the positive learning one for me it, it recently is that um, my whole life I hated statistics. Uh, I was a math teacher and hated statistics. I would never, ever engage it unless I absolutely had to. And I knew that to finish this degree, Judy's laughing at me, um, to finish this degree, I had to take two statistics courses. Um, And I walked in to the first statistics night and said to myself, I am going to be good at this. There was no, there was no, I'm going to try. There was no, I'm going to think about it. I'm going to work on it. I am going to be good at this. And between that statement and um, figuring out the best method for me to take notes, um, I ended up minoring in statistics for my, I have a doctoral minor in statistics now. Um, so <laughs> there you go. So I felt empowered and confident um, through all seven or eight courses I ended up taking. That's wonderful. <laughs> there you go. Great. And um, so you shared these and uh, from our experiences, what do you think would be the message we can leave? If you look for the positive experiences, what we can, for example, if you can advertise something about learning now, what you, you would say for the others, teachers who are trying to planning positive learning experiences for their students, what we could say? Well, the thing that struck me is that each one of us talked about our favorite thing in the world. You talked about PE, you talked about something that happened in PE, you talked about soccer, and I talked about math. And so that leads us to believe, right, or at least for me, that positive learning experiences are absolutely hooked into and connected to the things that we love the most. That interest plays yeah, a, interest a huge. huge part in all right. of this. Students. Interest, in, well, and also success. In some yes, level. yes. Mm-hmm. Good. What more? And also, positive learning experiences must be, how to say, meaningful. Motivation. So, if you don't feel this, what you're going to learn is meaningful for your own work, or it's not going uh, to contribute. You know, to your own professional uh, development in the long run, you might not be commit. You might not be put full commitment on that learning. So, so positive learning has to be meaningful uh, to your own uh, context 
else? Yeah, I think I just, um, I know I mentioned just the word belonging as well too, or a sense of belonging or knowing that the experience that you're part of is somewhere that you want to be and you don't want to be uh, anywhere else or you're, you don't want to be hiding from it. You're happy to be in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. Or present in it, I guess. Or whatever. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I mean, I hate to be use a cliche word, and I think a lot of people misrepresent this word. But so my experience, my good, my bad experience was dance. I wasn't very good at dance, so I felt very <coughs> inadequate. I almost failed my undergraduate degree because um, my dancing, I was dancing with the best dancer as a partner, foolishly. Uh, that was my fault. Uh, but then I just felt inadequate and self-conscious and not good enough. You know. Uh, and um, I compared myself to others, you know, really quickly. Whereas if the good thing was kayaking, where I learned how to kayak and how to paddle in and out of an eddy or a stream without falling over or tipping out. And uh, then I learned to roll and learning to roll gave me confidence to, to not be scared or uh, so learning to having that confidence uh, was a huge challenge. Uh, but it, in the moment, as you just said, or was, uh, I think anybody said, it's about uh, the, the sort of the mindful that you lose, tra- you lose track of yourself. Or Donald was saying, you, you aren't aware of what you were doing really in some regard because uh, it's so enjoyable uh, and you're, you're confident enough to, to be able to do it well. That moment of flow. I was yeah. just going to say. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Or have you say his name? Uh, Chicks and Mihai. Chicks and Mihai, Mihai. Yeah. yeah. 1990 yes. Did you? I'm jealous. That's awesome. All right, sorry. Carry on. Judy, did you want to add? Well, I was thinking flow. Yeah. So that's like, yeah. <laughs> singing, but self, uh, developing self-efficacy in children. So I think from taking it to the, mm. the place of, you know, is it, is it, I wasn't good at lacrosse, but it was something that I felt that I could get better at. So you, you can tie in the growth mindset piece as well. Yeah. And, and knowing that it's something worth the time it's to self, develop. Developing self-worth. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So, I, wasn't, I wasn't worthy of dance, but I'm worthy of kayaking. Worthy of dance. Sorry. You are. So, yeah, we can, we can normalize. Uh, you, you told you told me something that we are something it's in the in theory but many times we can't put it in practice something like that we have one author and now i do remember jennifer from matt we have one author her name is spart and spart just did a metaphor i'm just putting myself in a place where you can see this one Ispar just just um, did a metaphor to explain learning, and I think she should should have listened to you, should have heard you. So what she said was, we have learning as acquisition and learning as participation. And the things you pointed to me, for example, challenging experiences, um, like a, it's individual. In bar, I felt embarrassed, frustrated feeling different and uh, it's a decontextualized experience. Uh, we don't feel connected, we don't feel recognized, 
these kind of things are kind of a result of uh, an idea of learning as acquisition. So in learning as acquisition, uh, we have those theories that understand that individual is a container to be filled. So we put in the individual, we include, we uh, deposit on individual knowledge, concepts, ideas, contents, and uh, in physical education field, for example, some theories led us to understand learning as a vision. Some motor uh, theories uh, or theories that understand that you have just to repeat in the way that, okay, it's correct, you know? So it's completely decontextualized from uh, the culture of that environment. For example, our colleague Ed just, just said, okay, I don't know what is this. It's completely different in my culture. So how, you, how I will learn this, you know? Uh, furthermore, in the present individual environment, dualist, uh, we always, uh, these kind of theories always privilege individuals. So if we understand as these things, as, as two things completely different, so one is the individual, the person, and the other one is the context, is the culture, is the environment. These kind of theories just look at the individual uh, and just and think that, okay, he can or she can learn everything because it depends on them, you know? So just look at the individual and not contextualize what they are learning. Uh, in addition, they understand learning as external, something to be gained. Paulo Freire told us about uh, banking education. I don't know if you have heard about this. So uh, the student, or in the case of professional development, the teachers, they are seen as one place, a bank, for example, where you go there and you deposit the knowledge. In this scenario, the teachers are always providers of the knowing process. So you can look at the picture, the students are not paying attention what the, the teacher wants to say, the, teachers, the teacher knows everything, so it's completely, it's not meaningful for them what the teacher are telling because uh, it's not contextualized, it's not part of the culture, they don't feel engaged. So it's this learning as acquisition. On the other hand, we have learning as participation. And uh, here we can see the theories that understand learning is learning as something ongoing in the context. So uh, we have a lot of, it's important to say that we have a lot of theories that understand learning as participation. Sometimes, for example, I work with situated learning theory, and sometimes we think, okay, it's just this. No, a lot of theories in physical education and in education already understood uh, this, the connection between the context and the individual, how they influence each other, and then they are producing different kinds of thinking about learning. Here I will present just my experience with situated learning, but it's important to think that there are other, uh, another, book, um, another options, yeah? So uh, these theories see students as, as a participant of the community. These students will participate uh, as in a, a pregnancy 
sorry, is participate in a practice, a discourse, or activity. The teacher is still is still this expert participant. Here is another important thing to say. Many times when we work with constructivist theories, we think that okay, let's just uh, kids kids can play whatever they want. They can act what uh, in the way they think it's better. And the teacher here is just the teacher is here just to see the students and to see if they are doing something wrong or not. I don't know if you in your country, but here in Brazil, when this kind of a student-centered theory arrives, uh, arrived, we just understood, okay, just let the kids play. But now we understand that the teachers is still the expert participant and his job, it's kind of organizing the community, organizing the path uh, way for students learning to lead the students through uh, the way they learn better. So the teacher is still the expert participant. And the students will contribute collectively uh, to their learning. So you told me, um, so I, Ed said, sorry, Ed said, it was contextualized with my needs. So in China, we have a big, big class. So the teachers just uh, taught us in a way that made, made sense for me because it's what I needed. I needed something to teach big classes, you know, large class. So when we said it's in the group, and I, feel, I felt that I belong to that group. So students will contribute to their learning collectively they will feel they belong to that place. They will learn something that they will uh, use in their context and something that is meaningful for them, yeah? So as I said, situated learning theory is one of these, one of one possibility, yeah? It's not the only one, but I work with these and I think that because of the roots of situated learning, uh, it was linked with what I would do. So I will try to explain a little bit why I thought in this way, and I will try to show what I did, okay? So um, I imagine that you have heard about professional learning communities, uh, of course, as a PhD student, uh, but I, I want just to recover something. So the professional learning community has become one of the most used strategies to enhance the success of a meaningful professional development. In professional learning communities, it's argued that the knowledge is situated. We are talking here about situated learning theory. And in daily experiences, and the students, or in this case, in the case uh, of my PhD teachers, learn by reflecting critically and collectively about those experiences. However, despite the positive results noted regarding professional learning community or community of practice and PE teachers' professional development, especially in rich countries, in developed countries, United States, countries from Europe or Australia, I questioned myself, could this result be simply transferred to Brazilian reality? I was convinced that Brazil faces different social cultural conditions 
and I understood that it should be investigated and the tensions and challenges that are facing during these investigations should be described in detail. If we understand that the context influencing the learning, influences in the learning of the individual, so maybe I was thinking that maybe in poor countries where we face different kind of challenges, maybe teachers learn or students learning would be influenced by this. Okay, so we couldn't just, for me, we couldn't just, okay, that's it, the professional learning community, let's apply in, in Brazilian context. So I decided to investigate it. To do this investigation, uh, I used Paulo Freire theory. I don't know, some of you know Paulo Freire? Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I know Paulo Freire is very, fam very famous in the United States, yeah? Yes. Yes. And sadly, it's not so famous here in Brazil. <laughs> so now, for example, we are facing a problem here with Bolsonaro and this kind of government. And they just uh, cut Paulo Freire from everything. Paulo Freire, we had um, a platform where teachers could enjoy some programs. The name of the platform was Paulo Freire. And then they cut these. They said that Paulo Freire uh, did a mess with education in Brazil, so it, we are in a bad moment here. But just to explain a little bit, um, studying Paulo Freire in, in this case was really important because Freire highlighted that in a place with so many problems as in Brazil, teachers have much more to teach than content knowledge. So students have much more to learn than content knowledge. So we, we sorry. We agree. Yes. We, uh, we talked about this recently. Yes. Good. Good. So what we what when Ben told me about pedagogies, I told him that I'm trying to look it at a big, as a big picture, you know. So pedagogies are very very important. But in precarious context, and then I will make a link after, but in precarious context, maybe pedagogy is more about teach other things than teach knowledge. So we can go to the internet, we can read a book, we can do whatever we want individually, but what the book, what the internet cannot teach to our students, yeah? So because of this, I just joined this two concepts and uh, I tried to understand teacher situation in Brazil and to propose some micro change. So, um, now I would like to present my research. Are you tired? I'm talking too much. No, <laughs> no, no it's good. good. It's good. I'm just listening. We're all good. <laughs> You're doing a good job. <laughs> good. So uh, the purpose of my, my PhD research was to explore the continued professional development of physical education teachers in one full-time Brazilian school. First, it's important to say that the schools in Brazil, they are just part-time. So students go to school from 7 to midday, and then a different group of students go from 1 in the afternoon to uh, 5.30. So what the government, our left government did, 
they try to enlarge the time of the school, but also enlarge the content, the, the subjects we had in school. So they put arts, they put more sports, they put um, te uh, um, technology studies, they put other things, philosophy, sociology, so other things that they believe that compose the education more than just Portuguese and mathematics, yeah? <laughs> no worries about our Jennifer, it's not something personal. <laughs> no, 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 none taken. <laughs> so, um, I, I, I started a project that happened in this kind of a school, a full time school, it's eight hours a day school. So, specifically, um, the, the research sought to respond to research questions. How do physical education teachers develop as a professional, uh, professionals in full-time schools in Brazil? And how can a professional learning community or a community of practice support physical education teachers CPD in a full-time school? How we did it? So, the research was conducted in two different phases. The first ethnographic phase was the in-depth investigation of what of what was happening in the context of the teachers. The second, an action research phase when alternative CPD was developed with the teachers. So, this research took place in, in Brazil for 11 months in 2018. Six P teachers, one facilitator, myself, and one critical friend, Missy, uh, were participants in this research. During this period, they were collected from multiple sources, including meetings with the teachers, meetings with critical friends, initial and final teachers' interviews and informal interviews, field notes generated by the facilitator observations, social media records collected by WhatsApp group, the artifacts that the community produced, and I also collect documents from school to understand history and the context of the I, I, I have to say that I was really, really tired when I finished. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're making us tired right now. <laughs> it's a lot, I have a lot of data about this, especially because I lived with the teachers six months every day in the school. So, yeah, but was was a pleasure. Uh, and I used the thematic analysis to analyze the data. So just to you to understand, in terms of design, uh, during the first semester, I was embedded in the school on a full-time basis. In the first two months, I was a participant observer. I attended the school general meetings, the meetings of the PE teachers with the coordinator. I spent most of the time trying to help the teachers in what they requested, talking with them and other people in the school and conducing interviews with the teachers. After this immersion in the school context and two informal meetings with teachers, Miss and I understood that something could be done to create spaces in which to improve the teachers' development as professionals. Thus, the research became a project that was initially intended to foster a professional learning community with the PE teachers and to understand how this community could support the SCPD. So here, it's important to explain that Teachers had a meeting uh, on Tuesday, 
it was kind of a, they had to do this, it was an obligation in their, in their workload. So they had two hours meeting. Some teachers didn't agree to participate, only these six teachers participated with me. So on Tuesday, we did this meeting. During the week, I was with them, observing, acting, and deciding other things. On Friday, I reported everything to Missy, and then we planned the upcoming days. So we did it, this cycle, every week for 11 months. Oh, God. What <laughs> 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 yeah. is covered? Yeah. I would ask you to look with attention these pictures. I will give you a time to see if you understand what's happening. So, let me help. In this first pictures in the swimming pool, the swimming pool was broken, and then the teachers, the teacher together, uh, and the students together, they were cleaning the swimming pool. So, in the in the other pictures in the athletic field, one teacher were uh, was explaining uh, like the content about athletics. They they had a class about athletics, and then the teacher were, was trying to explain, but the sun was really really hot and then the teacher just had the umbrella and she okay come on here i will explain but let like a protect ourselves in the other picture one teacher they didn't have a gym so uh the teacher was teaching the teacher was teaching volleyball but they just draw a court in athletic field <laughs> in the other picture they were they were learning handball and it's not my phone, okay? It's just the interphone. <laughs> no <worries. Okay. laughs> they will stop. And then uh, they have a, we have a soccer field, but they were learning handball because they didn't have a gym. And you can note that the, the goal is completely broken. The teacher was just trying to adapt some activities. So in this precarious situation, uh, what we understood we know that it's acknowledged that teachers continue professional development should prioritize pedagogical improvement with the focus on student learning. The article, I, uh, the Watson article I, I sent to you said about this. So the focus on prof of professional development is student learning, yeah? Yeah. However, after undertaking the data analysis, we understood that while teachers' learning regarding teaching knowledge was important, fighting for better professional conditions was, is, was as or even more important as achieving the formal aid. What we thought was uh, how a teacher can teach in this situation, how the teacher will think about okay, I want new teaching strategies, strategies, I want my students to learn. So maybe precarious situations, and this is my precarity, maybe it's different from your precarity, but in this precarious situation, maybe students learning, um, it's a second concern. First, teachers needed to survive. 
So um, now I will detail a little bit these findings, and if you have some doubt, you can ask, okay? Right. Uh, in the ethnographic phase, we discovered that these teachers worked in a socially vulnerable area and in a conflicted environment. They felt pressured and without support from the school or from the municipal education office in the city. Yet, was it was important to understand that these teachers were accustomed to work in isolation. Individually, these teachers only react to a directive, mandatory, and undemocratic process. I note the teachers were just surviving the school. It, in this way, professional development was a small forgotten piece of their daily routine. In the action research phase, we understood that the teacher's development was supported by a professional learning community fostered throughout a dynamic and ongoing learning process. Three elements might have contributed to nurturing this professional learning community. Here is important one pause to explain that uh, we understand that these three elements, practice, support, and facilitation, contributed to foster a professional learning community. But maybe we have another or different facts that contribute to this, this the fostering of this professional learning community as well, but we didn't investigate. So we can, we can say that, okay, uh, <coughs> this, um, we did this and then we have the professional learning community. Maybe in other situations, uh, stimulated this professional learning community to be fostered as well. It's my point. So the teachers were building their own practice, supporting each other, having the support and the leadership of, of the facilitator. So while the group fought to be recognized, they constructed their own professional development. It was based on their reality and problems. The teachers learned to negotiate between themselves and decide what was important for them. Here are some of their statements. So second, physical education teachers supported each other. The collective support gave strength to the community to face its struggles. They learned together about peace. Independently, they also organized themselves to keep learning and decided the group direction. They felt comfortable in sharing their reality with those who experienced the same situation. They could recognize others' struggles as they shared the same problems. They learned how to build trust among each other. And here there is a case, really interesting case, how in precarious contexts, maybe support is not the kind of support you are thinking. So uh, support maybe is, is, is physically support, is defend, is protect, yeah? They, they, they live in a really risky situation. So sometimes we are talking about this. This guy in red, you can see in the picture, uh, he's the oldest teachers, teacher in the school. He's really, really brave and he loves uh, defending the students, but he's really short, he's really weak, so he knew that uh, he needed the other teachers, yeah? So he was telling me uh, during our final interview, we were at the pool with the students. Then I asked him, Andre, what is, a, what is that group there, man? Vamos, it's kind of a let's go. Let's find out what's happening before they come to the pool. The students who were with us saw the mess. 
Pedro, a different teacher, was cleaning the field with his students before the athletic festival. Teachers in Brazil has to do everything, yeah? So they, they, they clean the field, they, they clean the swimming pool. <laughs> so Pedro arrived in holding a hole. He saw André and me surrounded by a group of 20 boys. They would attack our students inside the pool, Luisa. It was two gangs, you know, one was in the pool, they, one was in the pool, in their students, and the other one, these 20 boys, like bad boys, okay? Then Pedro came and banged the hole on the floor. The boys saw that there was another big guy with us, so he felt protected by the other teacher, yeah? So it's this kind of a support they were leaving. So the last thing, um, the facilitation process. Mrs. advice for me was always calm, go slowly. Thus, the third step for the community development was to have a democratic leader. In this case, myself, but again, I didn't know what, I'm, what I was doing there. So Missy has to, to, to teach how to lead that community and how to be a democratic leader in that situation. I learned my role at the school through Mrs. support and guidance. I had to have a good relationship with the teachers, listen to their voice, understanding the group's knowledge, and respecting the learning pace of the group. I also recognized the importance of the balance between talking and listening, pushing the group's discussion and giving space to the teachers. While each one was discovering his or her contribution for the group, I also discovered my own role. I became more than a facilitator. My contribution was to be the group's democratic leader. So, I, I note that the teachers need someone who would never abandon them, who acted with solidarity and struggled with them. Freire highlighted the importance of having a leader that fights on teacher's side. For him, it's an act of love regarding people and education, something that could contribute to revealing the situation of the oppressed and their subsequent liberation. I understood that the teachers and I were building empathy and mutual commitment. We were equal actors fighting for mutual liberation through communication. More than this process, we understood that the community produced something, so we have products of the community as well. The products were the teachers' needs, decision-making, and voice. So their needs were related to organize themselves and to be recognized in the school. Um, concomitantly, the teachers need, needed to make some decisions regarding their practice. During two months, we conducted workshops inside the school the group lived the experiences of PE, remembered their lessons, and critically questioned the PE teaching efforts. They also organized themselves to learn outside of school. They invited different professionals to learn about PE content. Finally, they organized PE classes through a consistent lesson structure and different, different teaching strategies. So this is one Simone voice. The more challenge these teachers faced, the more their autonomy gave voice to them. They were negotiating their issues with people from administration to keep learning. Yet, 
By the end of August, they were informed that the school calendar would finish early than planned. So the teachers suffered so much in school, and then they were, uh, the mayor just uh, announced that the school to fund full-time schools had finished, and then they will be fired uh, in November, I think. Yeah, if I remember in November. So these, um, I don't know, the school became a mess more than was before, yeah? So to maintain their work, they split themselves into groups to accomplish different goals. They conduct a HEFL. Uh, do you know HEFL? Like uh, we collect money and sell something? It's, it's expression in the United States. Fundraising. Fundraising, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So they did it to buy cleaning products to clean in the swimming pool because they, they don't have any money to do, to do this anymore. Uh, they organized a, a Saturday class because as the, the year would finish early, the mayor just said that they should teach on, on Saturday to like a pay the days they will stay without teaching. Yeah. So they thought uh, Monday to Friday and Saturday as well. Um, and then they kept teaching as they could. In their opinion, they attempt to defend themselves and to defend each other. They tried to do the same speech and speak as one voice. In this time, the teachers just came together and they were like a physical education group against all adversity and all challenges they will face, you know? Wow. So... As I said before, I used the uh, situated learning theory, but I would like to know first, and now we can, I don't know if we have more time then. Yeah, we yes. got some time. Yeah, great. Uh, I would ask you to share with us if you have participating communities, uh, can be in sport communities, religion, or music and in your professional life as well. And we can share our experience. I will just jump here. Yeah, and I would like to know how was this experience? Um, what happened? What is the key message for the orders? I think with teaching, so I'm gonna put on my elementary physical education hat. Um, but being a part of a school faculty at elementary school, every Tuesday afternoon, we had our faculty meetings. And then sometimes Tuesdays during a certain part of our planning period, we would have what was uh, framed to us as a PLC, professional learning community. Mm -hmm. um, I think for us, the idea, it's always so fascinating to read the literature on PLCs because mm -hmm. we hear from the literature what it should be, what it could be, what mm -hmm. it does inhibit, mm -hmm. uh, the constraints and affordances of it. I guess we could look at it like mm -hmm. that. Uh, but how you, as a school teacher, become part of a system of PLCs. I remember saying, this is what our county is going to do. We are going to start doing PLCs. Yeah. We want to hear from you. So they tried to frame it as if we would have a say in it, but it quickly turned into how can we, art, music, PE, Spanish, all the, all the special areas, how can we support the standardized learning and test scores of the, of the general academic classroom? So it was first framed that this is a wonderful thing and you will get voice 
but then it turned into how can you help facilitate student learning in the general ed classroom. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what was the key right. message? They was like a, a bait and switch. They said one thing <laughs> at first and said it make us think, oh, great, we're actually going to have a voice in this wow. and turn it into, uh, well, now, now when we send student teachers out, it's data rooms. It's rooms where all the student data and who is performing below, you know, academic uh, grade level or, you know, standardized testing. Uh, mm -hmm. It's become all about, it's become about that. Yeah. So the same lie was told to me, though. That's what I want you to hear, right? Is so that when PLCs came out mm -hmm. as the core teacher in the in this space, mm -hmm. right? We were fed the same lie. You will get to have a say in how this meeting goes. You will get to decide what gets talked about, what gets into wow. the needs of your students. That this is what a PLC is, and what it became was. You know, here's the uh, the shared. Here is your shared vision, <laughs> right? Yeah. I didn't get to share in it. It was shared uh, with me. I can't believe you. it in math. For you. In all the core subjects, really, math and literacy. Absolutely. Oh, here is the vision. The vision is we're going to increase proficiency wow. in test scores by this amount, and you will make it happen. Here's how you Here do are all the kids who are not proficient. Here are all wow. the kids who are well below proficiency. Talk. How are you going to fix it? How are you going to do it? That's a PLC mm -hmm. in this country, yes, in this is. locally speaking. Well, locally, North Carolina. Locally speaking, well, in the school uh, system Is here. there a potential to create a real PLC somewhere? Because I would argue in... New Zealand, there still is that pressure for math and literacy, uh, uh, Louisa and everyone else. But um, what we, what I did was I walked into four schools and uh, we talked about developing a, you know, the PLC. And within uh, a year, the teachers changed the name to PLG. They wanted to call it a professional learning group mm -hmm. rather than a professional learning community because uh, they, they didn't like someone else's term. Yeah. Mm. So we call it a professional learning group. And uh, since then I've published one paper on that, we're, we're working on another one now, but um, they actually took ownership for that. Yes. So mm. I know that doesn't always happen, but it requires a lot of effort. And as you, Showing your work, you were there for a long time. It's not a short right. amount of investment uh, to really get some progress. Okay, other folks, what, what else? And um, just chime in when you can. Uh, you were just here a little late, but this is Louisa. Do you want to, can you just introduce yourself? Yeah. Hello. I'm Sam Beck. Um, I'm a first year doctorate student and I'm studying under Dr. Dyson's guidance. I was an elementary school teacher back in South Korea. Nice to meet you. Good. Nice to meet you, too. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, I think you, you said uh, something really, really important. Because when I was, I jumped to this slide because I would like to, to hear you before. But uh, it's really important to understand what people are doing with the concept of professional community. So uh, in the text that I sent to you, we have the, the, this discussion, kind of, um, they are just imposed uh, 
imposing uh, professional learning communities on teachers. So teachers are forced to participate. It's not the concept of a, of a community as well. If you think just in the concept of community, without thinking about uh, a professional or learning, think about your community. You, you have to, the willingness to learn, the willingness to participate has to come from you. And uh, that thing has to be meaningful for you. So what the governments are doing, they are forcing groups, in, it's not community, forcing groups to be together and to solve challenges from education that sometimes just these challenges are not the challenges that teachers want to solve. Right. Sometimes these challenges are challenges that they want us to solve. Right. So mm -hmm. they, they, the problem has to come from teachers' reality. So when, we, when, I, when I, I was learning about situated learning, what I liked, what I liked more um, about this theory is the, pedag the, the critical pedagogy, um, the, the idea of a critical pedagogy including this. And many times, uh, who studied, who studied, uh, situated learning, they don't read so well. So the, the, in the part that it's a social practice in a historical and it's contextualized and it's to transform the reality. So it's not to conform, it's not to accept, it's not to adapt, it's to transform, it's to re reflect and think, reflect about our own problems, problems that came from our culture, our reality. So because of this, I'm, I'm more interested in, in studying more situated learning. I think I have to study even more because Vygotsky uh, roots, uh, they are a little bit complicated. And if we understand uh, the, the period in the history that this theory was produced, like a Vygotsky theory, if you think about this period, was a really, really complex period. So we cannot just adapt and okay, let's do this now and it's the same. We have to understand the context where the theory was produced as well. And we have just to understand what the government, uh, government, especially uh, you told about US, are trying to, is trying to do with teachers as well. And sometimes students learning, uh, it's kind of an excuse, you know, uh, to, in, to, to initiate a professional learning community. But what happened is teachers are overcharged in the same way. So teachers are forced to respond to assessments. Teachers are forced to, to um, complete um, assessments or students' assessments. And then we are in the same place. We didn't, we didn't evolve, you know, with this idea and community of practice or professional learning communities, if you can use these, they are not changing anything. So, but communities can be used for Zoom. And uh, I think each concept can use for good or not. So uh, if we understand the reality of people, if we understand the context, if the group are together to change their reality about something that they really think it's important for them, I think community, a professional learning community is a good concept. Uh, but if it's forced, again, 
I don't think it will have it, it will have any results, any good results. So what I can do here, I can share with you the results I found. And uh, yeah, it's just each community is different. What I found here, maybe you cannot apply in your reality. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure about this. Yeah. So yeah, so I will just jump here again because we know about this. Then we can come back later if you So in my, research, in my research, we understood that there are good and bad things, as I said. And it's important to understand that each experience is completely different. Uh, we then find some features of the community where we were working. So their mutual engagement. The teachers were mutually engaged in changing their reality. Together as a community, they could learn and act for their individual and collaborative learning. They also learned how to behave inside this community. They have a lot of negotiation part. They didn't agree. They, and it's good. When you don't agree, it's really, really good because you force the other person to change their mind. You force the other person to think in a different way. So it was really good. So, but they learned to live in a community. Uh, and they learn to trust in each other, to be a collective, what is recognized as essential to teacher CPD. They are joint enterprise. They decided autonomously and internally the true reason to be in a COP. It's not, it was not only about PE, as I said, but it was about teacher's life. Whereas the teachers together felt, felt stressed, marginalized, hopelessness, and afraid, the COP gave support to the teacher's survival. And third, they shared repertoire. In our study, the Tuesday meetings and everything that was developed from the meetings was the practice of the community. It was related to the community's ways of doing, the products of the community discussion and action, the understanding about the political and economic situation in the So, concluding, <laughs> in our enforcement, uh, of Freire's claim that in precarious situations, teachers have to work in two parallel things, their own learning for teaching, and they are fighting for better professional conditions. In our research, we could note that these two purposes influenced and were dependent on each other. We understood that some factors led us to analyze teachers' development as a dialogical process, that might have encouraged the democratic CPG through COP. First, the turbulent situation required action from teachers. The teachers were completely destroyed, you know, so they had to act. To act. If not, they will be, I don't know, fired and everything else and just accept this thing. Second, the teachers were building their own practice through their practices. Third, they were a community that gave support to its member and act toward changing their reality. And fourth, they had a leader who fought for the teacher's voice as their right to be heard. Just to, just, um, you can imagine one, one people from the municipal government just came to me and said, you have to convince teachers to participate in this kind of um, professional development activities. They have to participate in a blog where they have to respond things individually. And I just said, I'm not here to force them to anything. 
I'm here with them. We are building together. I, I'm not a leader who will be just, okay, you have to do this, blah, 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 you know? The teachers were resistance, resistant, resilience, and they were struggling all the time. This indicate, indicated the teacher's empowerment that might have emerged during the research period. The signs of empowerment noting this research indicated collective and constant struggling. The teacher's learning that was occurring through the COP during the CPD was informed by a political clarity to achieve better professional conditions and the teacher interests and rights to keep their learning. So that's it, a bit of my experience. Uh, in my case, people had to learn, of course they had, but not only learn content of being, they had to learn to fight for a better life as a teacher. And I would like to finish with one question. In your context, what should teachers or students learn for? <laughs> That's it. Thank you for your attention. And we can talk more. Or if you are tired, you can send me questions <laughs> later. <laughs> I talk too Hello. much. Uh, I think uh, we should uh, keep talking for uh, yes. at least a, a short while, if not a little more. Um, so um, this is very exciting and interesting what you found. Um, I would juxtapose that with US teachers who I think, uh, particularly in the high school and middle schools, and I'm generalizing here, and uh, I know that um, maybe there isn't enough struggle or maybe there isn't enough resistance or maybe there aren't a lot of enough challenges they are really uh, they're living in the status quo. And one of the reasons why they are and it's much more difficult for them is because they don't have the democratic leader. You, you act as a democratic leader. Uh, so my question is when you leave or when you have left and you're not in those schools, is there any sustainability or maintaining this, uh, I, obviously, that's what I always worry about. And uh, yeah, what do you, what do you what, what, what's your reaction to that, Louisa? Sorry, it's a tough question. Yeah, so uh, it's important to say that the teachers were spread around, around this, the city, so they are not working together anymore. The project had finished. And then uh, I thought, oh my God, now the community will finish as well. But we had the WhatsApp group, and then uh, surprisingly, the teachers keep, kept talking the WhatsApp group. I think they felt supported by the group, even to, to find another job. So we noticed that was not related to that school, to that project, but was related to their life as a teaching as a teacher so what happened is now they maintain they they are together together in the whatsapp group uh and they talk like a, not frequently but they talk when they had some problem for example they shared classes oh look what i did today or i had i, I don't know how to teach this or i have a job opportunity there could you help me these kind of things uh and i think 
when then told about how um, if a democratic leader was really important in that that context, I think the answer is yes, was important. But my job was to be. I wanted to. I wanted to left the community. You know, I want the teachers um, keep going by themselves. Right. I, I think this was my job. They are not in this state as well, so they, they are really linked with me yet. So, for example, now we are doing a presentation. We will do a presentation in our city about our job, about our experience. And they go, they went to my home, we talked together, we have breakfast, this kind of thing. So they are really linked to me until today. And I think my job is kind of a slowly cut this and make them more autonomous. And this one thing. The other thing is, I have to learn how to be a democratic leader. I didn't know what, I, what should I do. I was the person who would go to the, the, who would go to the school and say, okay, you have to teach this, you have to teach in that way, you know? I was this person, I have to say. And then Missy was explained to me, Louisa, you have to, wait and you have to to let the willingness to learn come from them so it was really really hard for me to understand this that the teachers had the knowledge and the teachers uh, in truth the teachers were tired to be okay you have to do this you have to do that you know the teachers had this i couldn't be this kind of leader so in the i think three months I understood that I had to be different. If not, I will not achieve that features, you know? So, yeah, I think that's it. Thank you. It's uh, very interesting. Other questions, folks? I'm not sure if this is a question, but right. something, that is, um, something that's resonated with what you've shared, that some of the things that Dr. Dyson's had us read, I really like this idea of democratic leader. Mm -hmm. And I think about leadership roles and, you know, a lot of times going back to the idea of that PLC, it was the curriculum facilitator, someone who did not understand physical education telling me this is what you will do. And mm -hmm. I think what's interesting, thinking about how do we develop, so, you know, with, with what I do now currently is uh, teacher education development and, you know, I do oversee our undergraduate program and this idea of teacher empowerment really resonated with me in, in one of the readings that Ben had us read, and you, you brought light to that. And how, you know, I think about how are we empowering teachers to take that leadership role? So I think it's so admirable that you were able to go in and model that. You modeled that. You were able to facilitate that and be able to model what that means to allow that community to, to be sustainable. And I mm -hmm. think that's so important. And I do wonder, you know, I'm taking the lens in a couple of different ways. Uh, who are the good leaders that I worked for or worked with, you know, when I was an elementary school teacher, but you know, how I'm trying to teach my undergraduates how to uh, try to figure out what those leadership roles and empower them to always challenge themselves just to kind of go beyond the status quo. Mm -hmm. So I do think what's interesting and then you're getting me to think about and, and you know, part of teacher education is to get them licensed to be a teacher, but what extra do I need to start adding to really start to facilitate this idea of teacher empowerment with mm -hmm. pre-service teachers? Um, yeah. So I think I, I, now I'm writing a paper, I hope. 
Come on, we need your paper. Sir. That's right. Come on. That's a good question, though, Jean. I don't know if it really was a question, but I just well, it's got me to connect, a connecting no. these, these ideas. So yeah, in, so I don't know if you go to ARA, I will present this part of ARA. Yes, uh, I so I to. Yeah. Donald, anyway, yeah. next year. Next year. Next year. The facilitation process um, it's really really interesting. So I'm writing about this right now. And I think uh, two important things you said. So first, I would like to say that maybe empowerment, it's not just to be autonomous. Maybe empowerment is more than that. Maybe uh, in depending on your context, maybe empowerment, for example, in my context, being part of that fight, to fight, being part to survive. So empowerment is, is a concept that but you, you need to put in a context, you know? It's not like, a, okay, if, not, if, if, you, if you think about empowerment, let's, let's try to build this. If, you, if you, we think about empowerment, okay, the individual has to be autonomous, uh, the individual has to, be, um, has to work individually, Empower, be empowered, to work individually. So what kind of empowerment we are talking about? So what we are discussing here that the change, the changing is collectively. So doesn't make sense being empowered, being, being empowered to fight alone or to just work alone. So it doesn't make sense. We will not uh, change the education or micro education if we think individually. We will just come back to the learning as acquisition, to learning as an individual, to a decontextualized learning. So this is the first point. For me, being powered is not related to act autonomously and individually. It's act collectively to change our reality. You know, I think this is the first point. The second point is uh, what we, we are building now and the facilitation process is linked with the context of the individual. In my case, I had to listen to the teachers and really listen to the teachers and understand what they needed. So in my case, they needed to survive. So the facilitator uh, attended the teacher's needs and uh, looked at, okay, if they need to survive, how can I act? And I discovered that I, I had to act through dialogue. I had to communicate with them. I had to listen and to talking. I have to be with them. Uh, the second point is um, the teachers lived in a really, really difficult situation. So respect, I had to respect their context. And if they needed to survive, as I said, I, re I, I had to respect how they would do it. For example, they just discovered that they had to learn to survive. Was the second point. For example, uh, they said, okay, so we want to learn, we want to improve our lessons because in this way we will be recognized. But I had to respect their pacing. I had to respect how they learn. So when they decided to learn, I had to act with respect. And the third point, I think uh, teachers just discovered their own voice. They were empowered to fight and to put their own voice. And in this, in this moment, I had to act with solidarity. 
And when we act with solidarity, uh, with through the Paulo Freire lens, we act together with the teachers. So we were not different. We were the same. I was fighting for the same fights they have. So I was, I was facing the same challenge they are facing. So I acted with solidarity in their reality. So what we are building now, it's this context of acting with uh, dialogue, respect, and solidarity in the teacher's context and to empower teachers to be a collective that changes their reality. I hope someone accept my paper. <laughs> well, I can't uh, wait to read it. We'd like to read it. So uh, uh, we're looking forward to seeing that. Okay. Other folks? Yes, I just want to know uh, yeah, uh, how to say, uh, uh, outside the professional learning community, teachers, for professional learning community, what's the role of the school principals? You know, hmm. The school principal, how, uh, how can I see the question? So how do you think the, the school principal's uh, you know, vision of the value of PE that mm -hmm. influence the professional learning community mm -hmm. yeah, among Good the teachers? Question. Yeah, because it's, uh, I remember in China, we had a national nationwide conference uh, mm -hmm. uh, in PE that uh, it's not about teacher. They just call all the principals to the conference. So basically, they, they believe the change, uh, the change of uh, professional learning community of PE teacher right. starts from the, the change of the conception of uh, the principles, how they understand the values of PE. Mm -hmm. So uh, because in China, the, the principles uh, devaluate, you know, uh, PE and mm -hmm. PE is marginalized uh, in school because so, of the so lack of marginalized and they they devalue it. Yeah, devalue it. And yes. the, the, actually, in the school, you know, it's like uh, the principal is on the top of the mm -hmm. power. So, yeah. So he has a, the power to allocate resources to support the teacher's professional development and mm -hmm. also have influence on the uh, professional learning communities, the mm -hmm. sustain, sustainable. To be able yeah, to sustain. To be able to sustain. So what do you think the principal's role and yeah. is that uh, the same situation in Brazil or, mm, yeah. It's the same, I think. Uh, what happened was uh, the principal of this school, he was a PE teacher. Oh, yeah. that's great. Mm, yeah. But yeah. it didn't well, change anything. It didn't change anything, ironically. And I explain why. Principals are charged that, that as teachers are. So what happened is, the, the principal just said to me, I can't do this because the municipal government will say to me, okay, you are wrong, you can do this, you know. So the principal was in the middle of what teachers wanted and what teachers were fighting for and what the municipal government charged. So I think sometimes principals, they are uh, overcharged as the teachers. If you find some, some principle that, okay, we will, I will defend my teachers. For example, I know one principle. Uh, we did a, a, another investigation before, and this, this principle, okay, I'm in the teacher's side. Mm -hmm. She was fired off the school. 
So what happened in Brazil, we live an undemocratic process. I don't know if it's, if, if it's in China, it's the same. So sometimes when principals fight together with teachers and just on, uh, they are on teacher side, sometimes they are fired, sometimes they are overcharged. So it happens with them. I really believe that one possibility is to work with principals. But what I'm thinking now, I, I was talking with people from um, political area, and maybe uh, the best communities are that, are that community that you put uh, stakeholders, principals, PE teachers or teachers, yeah, in each area, people from university. We, uh, in Brazil, the name is um, kind of a boundary, um, boundary community. I think uh, Vicky, then, Vicky already worked with this concept, yeah? Like expanded the, I forgot the name uh, she told, but it's kind of where you put uh, everyone together in one community to think, because in this way you have different views about the same problem, you yeah. know? Yeah. So think yeah. it's, it's one possibility, but we have yeah, this. I think that's a very strong possibility. Uh, uh, I will send you my paper from 2016 where I had the principal and a PE teacher and myself write the paper on communities of learning. Mm. Uh, so this principal was someone who was very, had a lot of mana respect in New Zealand. He was the, the uh, president of the Principals Association. Oh. Plus he would get lots of money like he, he would get lots of funding from the government for literacy and math programs, but he, his partner was a former PE teacher, so he actually respected. And I got to know him, and one way I got to know him was I used to spend time with him socially. Mm -hmm. And because of that, uh, you know, I think, you know, I think we need to, if we really want to make change in schools, Principals are the, one of the key players, so we have to get them on board. Yeah. And mm -hmm. if we don't have the principal on board, we aren't going to go anywhere with any change in the school. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, That's someone else. Yeah. Um, Luisa, um, muito obrigado. Uh, <laughs> uh, I suppose we've had, we've had a couple of critical pedagogues present us um, in the first couple of weeks of this class and it's uh, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's refreshing um, to hear uh, what, you do, what you talk about here because it reaffirms something that uh, I suppose um, Deborah Tannehill and Mary O'Sullivan and mm -hmm. Emer Enright and I know Carla Leguetti as well I saw her in one of your pictures there yeah. uh, reaffirms something that I would have learned from them and it's that teachers have a heart and they do care about the work they do. Mm -hmm. um, and I know we've dealt a lot here with about, about socialization and uh, we've had a lot of people look at things critically and the rhetoric has been a lot of, well, the teachers are socialized, they don't care uh, and they're not very good at what they do and they're not willing to try to be better, which is, you know, it kind of flies in the face for a lot of work and it doesn't really seem to solve a lot of problems in my view. Um, so it's nice to hear that teachers do in fact care about what they're doing and are willing to work in it. But I suppose what you point to here is that it's really important that they have the time and space uh, and the correct environment or the correct uh, strategy or structures in place to allow them to do it so that they can uh, teach and teach successfully uh, in their own environments. 
Mm-hmm. One thing I suppose I just I know we've touched on here, and again, it's it's all it's all good. Um, is just uh, the I suppose the nature of we talked you kind of talked about being critical with it and having teachers the opportunity to reflect. And I know myself having kind of done small bits of this kind of work more informally than formally in schools with teachers is that um, how do you manage the conflict? Because conflict, you know, is a, it's, it's part of the process, but it, you know, in, in my opinion, it's a good part of the process. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, go, I suppose with, with this community of practice, how did you manage, um, you know, the, I suppose not necessarily the conflict, but the constructive conflict that took place between teachers and how they managed situations and, agreed and disagreed on things because it's something that a lot I suppose of community of practice work kind of maybe forgets about because if you start talking about conflict people don't like that kind of word to be used or that kind of uh, rhetoric to be applied to it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah thank you for this comment yeah what what I did was um, we always use the, the the time of the meeting we had together First, teachers, first of all, I think I did an interview and then I asked them how they would prefer uh, to do that meeting. So they said to me, we need to cry about the week. So we started the meeting uh, always talking about the problems they found, uh, they have found during their week. So I think when teachers started to notes that the other teacher faced the same challenging situation, they start to be close. I think this was the first point. The second point, they had to have, to have some decisions and then they start to conflict. What I did in this moment was uh, make some questions that made them or did force them to reflect about what they were thinking. And when they didn't find the answer about my questions, I asked what we should do about this. So how we can learn about this if we don't have the answers, because I don't know, Peter told something, Andre told another thing. So another thing, uh, we have a problem here. How can we solve this? So I had to intervene and to show them they had different opinions, but we could reach in a, in a, not in a consensus, but we had to work together. So how we can solve this? And then many times, for example, I, I remember that the first thing they didn't agree was about the approach that will would support physical education in that school. And I just noted that one teacher, no, have to be health and blah, blah, blah. The other teacher said, no, cultural studies will support. And the other teacher, no, training, sport and training. And I said, uh, do we know what we are talking about? Could you explain to me what is training approach, what is cultural studies approach? And then they understood, yeah, we don't know, so we have to study. <laughs> and then they asked, okay, how can we learn about this? And then they decide to do the workshops, they decide to go outside the, sc- outside the school, and then after they are learning about this and when they were learning together, I think they started to negotiate, you know, about things that they didn't agree. Until today, it's important to say, they disagree about something, you know? One teacher think, okay, I will do my class in this way. The other teacher said, no, in this way. But they agree about something, and Mm. this is important, you know? They don't need to be equal. 
the conflict is important, but I think the facilitator pay, uh, role in that moment is to challenging teachers and to force, if you think about Vygotsky's theory, the facilitator uh, role in that moment is to challenge teachers and to move teachers to think in a different way. So to push teachers to understand what they need to learn more or what they know and how they can negotiate this inside the community. So making questions and uh, yeah, show them that they need to learn about another thing is what, what one way that I found. Yeah, and I think it's just... Um... I mean, it, it almost seems so obvious, I suppose, doesn't it? Um, but that I think a lot of what we've looked at here and stuff is that things that teachers aren't doing with their students and a lot of what we really need to be asking is well, what are teachers doing amongst themselves um, to improve their situations and how, again, like you've shown with these community practices, how are they managing the environments around them with, the, with their own colleagues so that they can actually learn from each other so that then they can help their students learning and that kind of gets lost a lot I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah so uh, actually them being able to be in a more confident and competent uh, position to then so you know you, you need to work on a lot of teachers don't work on themselves mm -hmm. or are able to but they still need that facilitation that democratic leader they need to sort of have that be moved out of their comfort zone where they're at to be able to be challenged to do this work. Any other questions yet? Um, sorry, sorry. Let me just, one more thing I just remember. Oh. One, Go for it. Yeah. Uh, one teach. I think learning to be in a community also helped to solve some conflicts. Yeah. For example, uh, one teacher, the most problematic teacher I had, uh, he had, I don't know, fault with everyone there so everyone hated this teacher and then at the end of the community like at the, at the end of the year uh this teacher just said i don't know uh, uh simone andre but i know about myself and what happened was i understood that now i know how to how to behave and how to be in a place where people don't agree with me so I learned to respect the other's voice. So I think learn how to be in a community is also, uh, uh, also helped them to learn how to solve conflicts. Okay, they think different from me, but we can still live together, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, good point. Yeah. Uh, uh, in my understanding, teachers learning community is um, based on at local school level. And I'm wondering if it can be extended to nationwide level. The reason why I'm talking about this is because, for example, um, for example, in Seoul, uh -huh. South Korea, which is really big city, yep. there are some schools which has ten teachers in one grade, and also, uh, on the other hand, in some rural areas, there is a school which has three teachers in the whole school. Right. So I think there are kind of educational gaps. Mm -hmm. So I think maybe if we can extend uh, learning teachers, learning community at local school <laughs> level, to nationwide level, that would be great to solve 
this kind of problem. So, yeah. Right. I, yeah. I know that there, it, mm. here, there is, there is a movement in that direction mm -hmm. and that Twitter has been that for a lot of people. Twitter has been that online community where you can go in and really ask any question and, and have a real community of response. I know that, um, so for instance, in the middle school that I taught in, there was one foreign language teacher and she taught Latin. And when you think bigger than our school, she was the only middle school Latin teacher mm -hmm. in the district. Mm -hmm. So she had to go outside no, no, of, yeah. you know, the district in order to find anyone that she could talk to mm -hmm. about middle school Latin. So I know that Twitter has been one, and I know that the math people in the state have been trying, and the science people too, really religiously to build these online community spaces through platforms like Canvas um, and Blackboard at the state level in order to connect exactly that rural communities where there's one eighth grade science teacher or one, you know, one whatever in the, in the space and be able to connect them to the resources of a bigger district like Guilford, like Raleigh, you know, and getting the smaller communities to be able to do that. So I, I don't know about in other countries, right? But I would think that you mentioned the What's Up app, right? And so that's another way they create that group themselves um, in that respect. But um, yeah, I think one way. Yeah, I, I have heard about a lot of online professional learning communities. I think it's kind of a, everyone is searching about this and everyone is trying to do this. I think it's a really, really good point because sometimes teachers that, that are involved in these communities, they want to participate. It's a different, okay, the government community that they go there. On the other hand, we have to pay attention because sometimes it's not a community. Okay, I have 100 participants, but then two people talk. The other people were there just trying to learn, okay, uh, teaching, new teaching strategies. I go there, I just copy and I go to my class and I just apply that, you know? So it's, it's now online professional learning communities. Uh, we need to be careful about these you know what is a real community yeah. so people has a has the kind of a they have the knowledge of, of their participation there so you know this kind of a, how they are acting that professional learning community what is what are their role in that community this kind of thing so i think it's a good strategy but again as the professional learning community concept we need to uh, go deeply and to pay attention in, okay, it, it's not everything, uh, it's a professional learning community, you no. know? Right. And, yeah. yeah, and people are thinking that everything is a professional learning community. So we have right. to be yeah. 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 And People, it's yeah. like, it's like not everything group work the and cooperative learning, not right? Not everything on the internet is, uh, yes. is uh, healthy and uh, useful. Right. And yeah. it's very distracting at times, yeah. 
yeah. is uh, uh, <clears throat> we won't go there. Yeah. <laughs> Hodus 45. Yeah. All right. Uh, all right. We've got time for one more question. Do you have any questions of us, Louisa? Because uh, we're, we're going to uh, probably uh, end in, a, in about five minutes. But Yeah. No, us, I would like if uh, someone wants to share their own research. I'm, about, I'm curious about what are you... Uh, searching for if is something related to communities or not or you know if you are working with teachers know you better I think it's important and you know we carry on this conversation in the future too for sure uh, and uh, anybody I, I won't say anything because I I don't want to uh, distract or dominate so what, what are we thinking uh, Judy and uh, Jennifer I know that they, they're itching to say something uh, and then uh, anybody else, you know, feel free. What am I searching for? I am searching, <laughs> I am searching for a dissertation <laughs> topic. Yes. To commit to. to. Commit to, yes. To to. Oh, gosh. I think what's been really interesting about this uh, semester um, in taking Dr. Dyson's course is I've, I've met <laughs> with all my – met with my third, a fourth, a four committee members. Oh, and. Uh, I got another curveball thrown at me, and oh, it was good curveball though. Very good. Yeah, the challenge. Um, but it goes back to you know what are we passionate about, which is making uh, this this change in schools. You know, so you know, Dylan, he he challenged us. What? Why are we doing this? Why are we taking uh -huh. the time to do uh -huh. this? So uh, I think overall, I'm. <laughs> Here's the curveball. That, the, curveball? Uh, the curveball is I should be thinking about, you know, the undergraduate PEAT students and maybe not going into a school to do some research. And this article that you gave us, Dr. Dyson, about teacher empowerment has thrown a spin to what I might want to do. So if you asked me three weeks ago, it would have been about perceived mattering in, yes. with kids. And, and then, of course, I want to investigate student voice. And I like this idea of teacher empowerment, but honestly – you know, this democratic leader, I think that can be developed on so many different levels. Mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. how do we get our kids to empower our students to be leaders and, mm -hmm. and to really mm -hmm. develop a community of care in our, in our classes? Yeah. Um, so do I have a dissertation topic? No. Today was this <laughs> another spin to everything. <laughs> good. Good. It's, it's, good. It's a good thing. It is good. Yeah, it is yeah. good. So I don't really have a solid answer. I'm sorry. Uh, it's a PhD. If you just, okay, I go there and I will this <laughs> and you finish with this, for sure it's not. A PhD, yeah. you have to be in a crisis to think about, okay, exactly. I really want to do this. Yeah. Thank you. I am so glad we were talking today because that's yeah, exactly yeah. what's going on. It's a crisis today. A good that's, crisis. It's good. It's yeah, good. But my yeah. head is doing this today. Yeah. Good. <laughs> that's healthy. It is healthy. Yeah. yeah. Want to chime in, Jennifer? Sure, I am in exactly the same boat. Where it, every time I turn, there's something new. Um, I'm I am most interested in how to, or or how teachers experience creativity in their classrooms, mm -hmm. and and the lens that I keep coming back to, and it keep the the pieces that keep kind of making me get the most excited have to do with teacher learning and because I, mm -hmm. I actually believe that they're doing it, but they don't know that they're doing it. And so then mm -hmm. how do we get them to see that this is really happening in their world? Um, mm -hmm. And 
And I believe that everybody has the ability to be creative in the content that they care the most about. And so, um, you know, I found beauty in geometric proofs and would talk about that using that language, you know, where, um, you know, kids had never heard that before. So I don't know. How's that? Um, <laughs> but I do keep coming back to professional development and that, um, and actually having taken this course, I now I'm trying to sort of, make my own so that I have that in my, mm -hmm. in my pocket of things as I go out into the world and try to be a university professor. Mm -hmm. um, right. But definitely, definitely creative pedagogy development, I think mm -hmm. is where it's really coming for me. Yeah. Down into, and, and both at the pre-service and in service level, it's, it will be both. How do mm -hmm. I get them to see it before they leave me? And mm -hmm. yet, um, mm -hmm. If you didn't get me, how do I get you to see it? See it or, and uh, continue it. And continue it, yes. Because yeah. that's where we really want it to happen. Yes. Maybe it's not too important that teachers understand what they are doing. Do you know what I mean? Like a, yes. we, have a, we have, sometimes we just, okay, uh, we want to make everything thinkable, you know? And sometimes the teachers are just acting as a praxis. Yes. They are just at, acting together. They are just putting their theory in their practice. And uh, we, doctors, want to explain everything. Teachers want just to act. And sometimes it's more important how they are changing their practice with a creative pedagogy instead of how they are thinking they are Creative. Yeah, how, how they conceptualizing. Yeah, and I don't need them. It's, it's more like the language that you use tonight is yeah. more in my mm -hmm. head now. So, you know, how can I be the democratic leader in, um, in a group of people who are trying to get at this creative moment? Yeah. And how can I empower them, mm -hmm. right, to be, you know, into their own creative agency? Right. Yeah. Because yeah. I don't think they're being empowered. To do it right, and, and, yeah, and then once you've done that, how how does that get maintained and sustained? Over right. Time? If my principal doesn't pat me on the back because I did something that I thought was creative, mm -hmm. how do I keep? They're going to pitch on the back for getting better scores, right? And passing the test, correct? Like how they are going to look better, right? How they, how they and they will how they are held accountable. The correct. So somehow we have to help them see that this is going to help them yes. in the long run. Yes. And that, like, what happened in the U.S., the no child left behind or standards, yeah. how that's just not the way to go. That didn't help. No. That just created a lot of problems. Yes. Uh, all righty. Well, uh, we're, it's good that uh, usually at the end of this class, I have to try to bring the group back to pedagogy, but I don't think in this case we Tonight. need, because I think it's been where the mantra yes. tonight has been pedagogy yep. and pedagogical work. Have you read the work of Richard Tenning on pedagogical work, by the way? Which one? Sorry? Pedagogical work by no. Richard Tinning. T-I-N-N-I-N-G. Yeah, Tinning, I know, but I, I didn't have... Yeah. yeah. All right, I'll send it to you. I'll send you a couple of papers. Um, Thank you. <laughs> so, what, what, unless anyone wants to say... Just, yeah. Let's go, Donald. Sorry, yeah, Louise, just one more quick question. Last um, question. Is that, yeah. Mr. Donald. Um, so, 
Um, I mean, it, it's again, it's just refreshing to see. I, I don't know if that your time in university of Limerick had anything to do with it, but you yeah, certainly yeah. we share a very, very similar good. perspective and outlook uh, on what kind of needs to be done, I guess, with teachers maybe in these kind of environments and stuff. I'm just wondering now that you've kind of looked at teachers and in, in the community, in a community of practice, how would you try and link that to what the students experience under this then? I know I say I, I, I had Vicky Goodyear there as well, and I know she's done some work with about communities of practice, but she's also measured student learning uh, because of how and to see if that had a teacher's community of practices had any uh, had it, had led to any improvement in student learning. I'm just wondering how would you uh, like have you thought about connecting maybe student data to this, this data you've got, like these types of methodologies you've used with teachers as well too. Mm-hmm. So. Uh... This is a gap in research area, I think, professional learning community. Everyone is trying to discover how to impact students' learning with professional uh, learning communities, and we don't have uh, like a, a direction yet. What happened in my project, I didn't put in my PhD uh, thesis, but what happened in my project was when the teachers decided to fight, and I note that they were more empowered to fight for their rights, they started to talk with students about this. So they, in the final interview, they said to me, okay, one day we will work, work uh, during the Saturday class, and then we just put the students together and we said, do you know why we are here on Saturday? Do you know, you know, and then they, the teachers started to explain to the students their situation and they should have just said, yeah, it's not so good for you, blah, blah, blah. And then we have to come here as well. So what I, what I, I'm just thinking uh, maybe um, when teachers are in part of, and Freddie told about this as well, when teachers understand their own role, they teach uh, in a way that they will uh, form critical students as well. So if the teacher is conscious about their own role, this, uh, they will teach in a critical way as well. So they will try to uh, make their students a concisions and a critical thinker as well. But I don't have an idea in how we could do this Maybe it's the next, your PhD, I don't know. There it is. There it is. Well said, Louisa. Uh, obrigado. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, if I can give you one more tip, uh, I think work, working with students' voice, as Carla is doing, Carla was in my project as well. She went to the school and then we did a, a, a meeting and a moment with the students. Uh-huh. So we put together a workshop about critical pedagogy and the student's voice based on critical pedagogy as well. And then teachers started to see, to notice the student voice and these started to understand, they started to understand Okay, we have to change our proxy. Maybe it's in this way. Yeah. Very good. Did, did, have you published that? Have you presented that? <laughs> Not yet. A lot of things to publish there now. No worries. Uh, look, uh, it's a good I, problem to have. Yeah, that's it's a, it's a great problem, problem to have. have. Look, uh, obrigado. Uh, Kia ora. Uh, thank you, and Maori. Uh, ciao. 
and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you in, uh, at ARA in uh, San Francisco. And let's uh, make sure we have coffee or, or, or a meal or something together. We have a good chat. Good, good. We can be together, yeah? Yeah, that'll be wonderful. All right. Yeah. Thank you. Again. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much. What a amazing opportunity. Yeah. That's yeah? very kind of you. Uh, yeah. Make sure you have a lovely evening. Yeah, you too. Oh, was a, was really, really good. Thank you. Bye thank bye. You. Thank you so much. Obrigado. <laughs> oh.